Welcome to the Conan Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Shouty, and we will be discussing Kirby and the Forgotten Land for the last time. This time we will be discussing the exploration and story in the game. Uh, with me uh, this time we have, uh, please introduce yourself, Golem. Hello. Adrian. Hey. So, being the first 3D Kirby game, uh, it really sets the expectation for how the levels are going to work. And because it's 3D, the potential for open exploration is there, uh, more so than it has been in, in the 2D games. So, how do we think the level uh, aided and hindered exploration in this regard, uh, Golem? Well, um, with <clears throat> you have limited camera control, so uh, that leaves the camera open to point pretty much wherever it wants, and there are times where the camera can point towards something and just draw the player's attention to it that way. Um, or it can leave things out of view or, like, obscured in a way that... Uh, you might not get in a fully um, a fully operable over the shoulder kind of camera, so that's it, uh, in maybe a broad strokes how uh, exploration works. Yeah, because the camera is like it's not really controllable by the player. It's it's a uh, it's it's the game's um, it's up to the game to control the camera, and that in and of itself is part of the level design. It's it's an aspect unto itself. As well as the, you know, the, the, the physical, tangible structure you're moving around in. Uh, by virtue of that, Adrian, what about the levels themselves? Like, what, the structures in the, in the levels do you think aid and hinder exploration? Well, sometimes doing one optional challenges kind of triggers like a coin path that uh, guides you to one of the other secrets. Like uh, the in one two, if you light one mm -hmm. of the lanterns, it shows a trail of coins that uh, goes on top of the sort of like AC boxes that you then platform up in order to reach a switch that unlocks the gate that a wall leads at. And there's a uh, several other examples like that that occur throughout the game. Right, so that would aid in an uh, exploration. It would, the game is literally telling you where to go with a coin trail. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, as for going, how it hinders uh, it, oh, oh yeah. I wouldn't really say it hinders it, but there there are a couple where the the point of the challenge is to notice that the path can continue and that it doesn't actually stop, even though the direction of the level is a, is another way. So take the um, the you know the shopping mall level, where if you just keep going to the right, you'll you'll find one of those or it's it's where you find the, the secret the secret map that shows you the correct path through the mall yeah it's 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 like a little hub area yeah, where or, you have multiple paths to take yeah or probably a better example is that one dark area in one area where you have the light bulb where right in front of the door it looks like the exit but if you actually like go towards the camera there's actually a path that takes you to an area on the side, which is where one of the hidden waddle dees is. Right. Uh, Golem? I think my, um, the most distinctive example of this in the game for me, 
um, was the opening area of the first level in the fourth world. So the opening area of form one, um, where there's uh, towards the end of the segment, there's a side area on the left that you can access. Um, maybe it's more towards the middle. It's like right before the uh, vertical climb. Um, and the buildings are set up in such a way that they suggest that there's no alleyways or, okay, I guess I should back up. Um, so the opening of four one takes you down like a, a street from Victorian England or something. Um, and so you have buildings on your left and buildings on your right. And the secret in that, uh, opening section is in an alleyway off to the left. Um, and it's hidden by the camera because the buildings are back to back with each other on your sides. Um, so there's no prior alleyways to get to. And the sheer angle of the, uh, the facades is such that it looks contiguous even though there is that break for an alleyway if you just get Kirby close enough um, to actually go into it. And so that's where, like, um, the setup of the camera and the uh, the lane set up by the level design uh, really worked to obscure a secret. So it's like a spot the difference. You're not... Were there... There were no, like... Um, gaps prior to the, up to that alleyway that you could confuse for an alleyway, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so they were they placed that pretty carefully then. Yeah, I, so I think that in that sense, it's aiding exploration, even if it's hidden away, because it's not confusing you in, into thinking that there's a hidden path and when there isn't. On the other hand, um, I think it's the first uh, level in World Two. Uh, it's the it's the first level that has that gives you the drill ability. It's just a bunch of islands uh, on a like a watery on a bunch of watery paths, and um, uh, to access the secret treasure island on that uh, in, in that level, you must find a gap in the. Um, in the in the barrier that that's been keeping you in the level this whole, this whole time, so I just thought it was a little confusing because while the gap is there and Kirby can't like jump over it from the water, I was led to believe that because of all the high places around the, that that like come up in the level, like that you could potentially jump from there and fly over them, but. No, what you're meant to do is you're supposed to find an area of the barrier that's knocked over. It's like a bunch of wires that's knocked over, and that's the path to the treasure island, which is also, I think, kind of uh, linear. Even though you're you're free, it looks like you're free to just swim wherever you want. So I think that invisible walls can be kind of a hindrance on exploration. Yeah, it's that um, the presence of uh, an invisible wall is like a, an artifice to make the game 
actually feasible, you know, because Kirby can't just go on forever. He has to stop somewhere. Um, and so the wire, around, the wire boundary is not actually a wire boundary. It's like symbolic of an infinitely tall wall. And so to be able to pass the wire where it dips into the water is like a weird uh, reading of the um, of the fiction there where you I guess it, the difference um, of the wire dipping into the water only in that spot is a clue that something is different there but otherwise um, it's set up just to be mistaken for the rest of the invisible wall. It's a very strange secret that I don't fully have my mind around. What do you mean you don't have your mind around? Like the, um, that, uh, twist (laughs) on the invisible wall the way that the wire becomes not an invisible wall once it dips below the water is like uh, makes me uncertain about how I interpret that symbolism, you know? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Because, well, first for the, first of all, the the wires themselves are also like strung along at a a height that Kirby could easily swim under um, logistically. So that's already a very strange invisible wall, in my opinion. But, yeah, it took me a while to figure it out, how to actually get to that treasure island. I was going all over the level, uh, just to look for, like, a secret path that wasn't uh, contingent on the invisible wall. So I think, uh, to that end, my favorite uh, level in terms of exploration was um, the the mall level in uh, World 5, because that's basically a free open area, even if it is completely linear. It's, it's, a, it's just a winding linear path, but you're free to backtrack however uh, far you go, except for like the entrance area, but the entrance area is just there for, uh, for flavor, so... You don't really do anything there in terms of collectibles, so... Yeah, um... I'm pretty sure I said in the first podcast that I wish... Every level in the game was, like, uh... The... That mall level, level 5. I, um... You know, now that you mention it, I, um... I wonder if... Another interesting point of comparison, then, is the... Level we talked about last time. Um, the first level of World 5, where it opens with that really wide area, um, where in the mall level, uh, the player is kind of incentivized to explore different areas by the way, just by the way walls are set up. Like, they limit the space the player can occupy and uh, delineate very obvious lanes. Whereas in the uh, opening of World 5, um, There's no literal structure there giving lanes. Like, Kirby can occupy a pretty continuous swath of space. And instead, there are implicit 
uh, lines set up by the different objectives that you can interact with. Yeah, I guess that if the whole level is that, I think it'd also be like one of my favorite levels in terms of exploration, because then at that point it would just be like a Mario 64 level. Yeah, yeah. But then it funnels into the... Um, in, into the the last corridor. Um, so, uh, Adrian, are there any levels you like in terms of exploration? In terms of exploration... Hmm. Well, I get. I can say that the. Well, it's not a Hal room secret, but uh, I was. I did like the, the secret in the, in the. Fourth world, where it's just a bridge of mid boss battles, and it happens at the very beginning, and it kind of reminds me of like a quake secret of just like those two little cobblestones as you can just kind of jump on, but it's also just like a secret behind a secret behind another secret, and that's when you get into your slew of boss fights, or mid-boss fights. Um, yeah, That took me so long. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually know about that until someone told me about it, but it's meant to be a reference to um, other levels in other Kirby games that are just mid-boss rushes. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Like, um, they have an alternate path. Yeah. Is that... Uh, Never mind. Not relevant. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you did say that there was, like, one per world. Um, I did not find them all. I am very clearly missing two of them. Oh, okay. But I did like that one. Yeah, going back to the, um... The, 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 uh, the world... The, the level in the world, too, I was talking about with the weird invisible barriers. Um, I actually stumbled upon... The, the secret area of that world, which is a whirlpool that leads into an, uh, a, like a secret little room underneath. I thought that was the way to the island, but it turns out it was just the designated, uh, the, ob- the obligatory uh, secret room of the world. Right, and it's... Isn't that special? Yeah, its only clue is that uh, when you look at where the whirlpool would go, it look, it looks like it actually goes somewhere. Uh, versus the other whirlpools where, you know, they kind of just drop into the water and that's it. It doesn't look like it goes anywhere. Yeah, to me, the secret areas like that, especially the one in World 2, were kind of just a combination of something that both aids and hinders exploration because I think it aids exploration by um, by being uh, like a cute little secret you can go to. But I think the hindrance is that it's too secretive. Like, I think that the game would be better if there were more of these types of secrets. Like, if exploration in general was... This uh, this, this was just the norm of how going through levels was to find secrets. So, I'm a little fuzzy on what you mean by, um, like, a hindrance or a help to secret. Are you saying, like, the the overall quality of exploration... Like it, hint, like it decreases or increases the overall quality? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Because it, it, it's like, like, part of the thing about finding things is that it's a challenge to find things, so... <laughs> yeah, but if it's if it's just too unintuitive, like with the barrier in, yeah. in the World 2 level, I think it just it becomes a hindrance. Yeah. 
I guess I'm the odd one out because the that barrier one was not the initiative for uh, me. My brother and I were both playing, and when we saw, well, one we saw the 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 island, we saw the red chest, and then we saw the barrier. So it's like, oh, one, two, three, um, <laughs> and then we just oh. yeah. Yeah, I guess my focus was more on the 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 the, the path to leave the, uh, that part of the level, mm-hmm. which is the warp star. Yeah, it, and it, I thought I could jump off from that platform up there and then go, bypass the barrier, and then go to the treasure because you can see the treasure island from there. But I didn't know you had to like go to the right and see the barrier that's knocked over. Yeah, you you didn't think you could just literally go there. <laughs> thought you might have needed like yeah. a, one of those like red warp stars that transition you within the same area. Yeah, I guess it also just. Uh, belies any preconceived notion about Kirby and his abilities to just fly anywhere he wants in 2D games, but in the 3D is much more limited if only to make it with the level design uh, not so ridiculously open-ended. Yeah, no, that that was just a natural trade-off that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... But yeah, going back to the per-world secret areas... Um, did any of us find any of the Howl rooms by ourselves? Yes. I found the first one because Adrian told me where it was, and I didn't know that there were others. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. I didn't know there was one per world, but, uh, yeah. The, and it's funny because the first one in the first world is more a more subtle version of how you find the the secret that you were talking about with the fake barrier where it's just like oh wait there's something back there well, there's st- <laughs> how do i get there and then you notice oh there that's how i get there and even one of them for the waddle d where you just see a distant target at the end of one of the uh the lava world levels where it's just like oh you're at the end of the level but wait there's a target just flying out way out in the background don't don't <laughs> that's how you get it yeah, the targets are kind of a weird form of exploration because they're not something gained from walking around. They're something you gain from looking around and and having uh, the copy ability to to get uh, to um to break it, which is Ranger. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so it's it is gained by looking around though. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you don't walk around to get it. Right, but you know, but, or, although uh, although you do spawn that mm-hmm. that particular howl room target by walking around because it's like a little sparkling on the tree to um bring it into view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's kind of weird. I think I prefer the secret, the way to get to the secret room in World Two, as unremarkable as the room it leads to. I think. The secret is a lot more seamlessly integrated with the environment, and it doesn't uh, feel like it's just something out of place. It's funny. I would I would assume that one would be the one that's more uh, on the too subtle side, just because of the fact that you have to engage with the thing that would otherwise normally kill you, or I'm sorry, or damage you, in order to find a secret. I mean, I still like it, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> if I was to if I was to put on a scale which one would trip up players more, I actually think it would be the the that one and not the uh, the lookout into the background. There's actually still things going on, kind of secret. Yeah, that's true because to look out into the background, you have to just look at this sparkly thing that you've been seeing the whole time, 
you know, just takes a little bit of leg work, uh, leg work to get there. But yeah, you have to you have to actually see that the whirlpool leads to somewhere and doesn't just go into like an abyss. So I think that that, but I think that's just more naturally intuitive on a, on a logistical scale. And that's the kind of exploration I wish we had more of. It seems like part of uh, rating these, um, when you say that it's more or less seamlessly integrated, part of it is a gauge of like how distinct it is against its surrounding environment. Like, if you saw something completely conspicuous, like, um, yeah, if you saw something completely conspicuous, you would know to go there. And so there's, like, some rating of difference of an, a visual piece against its environment that you're referencing, um, <laughs> I think. Yeah, um... I mean, I guess the, the the rating and the gauge would be based on just how things look in real life, uh, as opposed to just some kind of video game uh, generic abstraction, like like well, the sparkly on the tree. I mean, that could be part of it. Like, if uh, the level's all green and then there's a red thing, like, that would alert you, right? Oh, yeah, like the, um, the flowers in... Uh, they had to collect. They had to. They had to interact with as one of the missions for the first level in the game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, it seems like it'd be like a very complicated scale to well, even yeah, try it to grasp. A, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a binary scale. It would just be a quality. Yeah, I mean, we we can all at least acknowledge that they're in that same category of just like spot the difference type of secrets where it's kind of in plain view, but it's just a matter of how it's blended or obscured in some fashion versus the other, uh, waddle D's where oftentimes they are in plain view where you can like clearly see the gates, just getting the other switch or doing whatever optional challenges there. Yeah. So when we're talking about going back to what Shadi said about the quality of the exploration or like what hinders or helps it like um i don't get too much value out of like spot the difference kind of stuff and to me personally the value of exploration in forgotten land was having a reason to engage the game um where like you can skip a lot of stuff if you just want to jump and fly over everything so going out of your way to find those Waddle Dees is a way to like learn more about how this or that ability works. And so um, having stuff in plain sight, I think, uh, in my opinion, helps the exploration in that it makes it less about finding stuff. It's less of like a... Um, it's less of a knowledge skill at that point uh, to, uh, you know, to the extent or sometimes to the point at which there's not even like a challenge finding what you need to do. Um, 
and so that helps it by uh, like narrowing the skill set on like no, we're really just testing how well you can perform with Kirby and his uh, mechanics. So it's an uh, it's an exploration of the mechanics, not well, of uh, space. I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not... And, and yeah, it's still contingent on the level design because that needs to be an application of those mechanics either, either one way or, yeah. or another. For me, I enjoy those... Uh, I, I'm probably the person that enjoys more of the type of secrets like the misaligned textures you see in Doom or Quake or uh, kind of like the ones in Kirby where there are certain glow spots where if you get close enough to suspicious areas, you know, you can or the glow spots come up and then you step on them and then they like kind of trigger their little smoke path of like something somewhere else. Like uh, say the end of one of the world five levels where there's those three cactuses. It's like, Oh, that looks sus. <laughs> and then you go over to it and it's like, yeah, there's a secret. Uh, I don't know. I love that stuff. Yeah. So I guess the mechanical exploration secrets would, an example of that would be like, using tornado to cross a gap in in the most efficient way possible uh, under a timer it's not very naturalistic or but the intuition is the mechanical uh application i think one um maybe the exception that proves the rule is light bulb kirby where uh to see the environment you need to light kirby up which um, dulls his walking, makes him move slower. Um, and so to see parts of the environment to get to, you have to light Kirby up. So um, that kind of spotting stuff in the environment is tied to experiencing what it's like to have a slow Kirby bumbling around. Um, so that's like a that was notable in the way that it tied those two aspects together. Oh, I see. Yeah, and, yeah. This environmental awareness versus the mechanical efficiency. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say that. Um, one example of like mechanical exploration is uh, in World Four, there is this puzzle that you have to use ice with. And you have to, like, realize that the prop- one of the main properties of ice is that you can basically turn enemies into projectiles and slide them around. Which uh, actually has, like, physical properties when it hits certain types of walls. So there's this area that's blocked off that curves around like a, like a horseshoe. So you have to get an enemy set up like a bowling ball and knock it through the curve that you can't access to and hit a switch. So that would be... I guess that, and along with basically any other uh, sectioned off area that utilizes copy abilities in a way that's a puzzle, would be would constitute as a, a mechanical exploration and yeah, anything level design yeah, unto itself. Opportunities to explore the more nuanced use of your mechanics is usually where those optional areas come in handy instead of making them a a main part of the game that you're required to do in order to progress 
Yeah, and that's just where the value lies in utilizing mechanics. But I guess um, I wouldn't call it a light bulb. Like, I mean, I guess it is intuitive, but only on a mechanical scale, the light bulb. Uh, but it's not as naturalistic as like seeing where things can go just based on how env- the environment was just the logic of the environment is hmm. all right uh do we have anything else to say about level design do we have like favorite levels or um just set pieces i've mentioned quite a few of mine's already um I think actually, yeah, I, I do have one lingering thought, if I may. Um, when you say the logic of the environment, um, I think that opens it up to a lot of like varied outcomes based on um, some kind of analysis skill or something where like two people can look at the very same image and see different things in it where they interpret, like, the invisible walls differently. And that's, like, a really weird and interesting topic. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just goes into how to properly abstract uh, these, uh, these, like, very interpretive concepts. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you brought up light bulb though, because I we didn't really discuss mouthful mode, but I do think that basically any mouthful mode is a mechanical exploration tool because you're not really going to use it in combat. It's it's, it's just going to be used to get through the level. So, wow, well, depending s- on how <laughs> I want to say you don't uh, use it in combat. I mean, you don't. I mean, you do you do use it in combat, but not to the extent of copy abilities. Yeah, I was uh, kind of hoping for mouthful bosses. Oh yeah, I mean, like um, you do well, have an opportunity one with a ring mouth on a Florina. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe just have one one boss where Kirby can run over someone with a car. That would have been funny. <laughs> I mean, that was the final sequence boss. Yeah, really? yeah. You take Optim- hit him with Optimus Prime. <laughs> Yeah, there isn't, like, a dedicated shmup area where Kirby, like, mouthful a plane, a fighter jet, and then shoots down a boss. <laughs> yeah, well, he did have a... What's it called? Not It's not V-mouth. I forgot what that one's called, but the glider one. Oh, yeah, the glider. Yeah, but the glider doesn't, it doesn't come equipped with, like, uh, machi- uh, miniguns. Yeah, you just uh, barrel roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, so, when you're uh, going on exploring, uh, one thing you can find is uh, the gotcha capsules that contain figurines, and the figurines will impart uh, little pieces of lore. Oh, So yeah. So, I, I think the story, at least the lore, is, in, is integral to the exploration. Explorative experience of the game. Sorry, no, as I didn't, I didn't read all the figurines. I only read a couple of them when, as me and my brother were playing. That's fine. We can. Just, I mean, I, I have 
uh, a web page pulled up with all their descriptions in case we need to reference any. Okay, cool. For sure, for store reasons. So, so yeah. I'm going to quickly go over the plot mm-hmm. uh, before we start discussing the story more in depth. So, Kirby in the Forgotten Land starts off with Kirby uh, walking around Popstar, and then suddenly uh, a vortex opens up in the sky and starts pulling, uh, a massive vortex, by the way, starts pulling everyone in from Dreamland. And as Kirby is going through the vortex, he starts being stretchy and gains uh, uh, strange new properties that allow him to do mouthful mode. And he gets the other side of the vortex, he gets spit out into a new world that is uh, the ruins of a, of a previous civilization. Uh, and Kirby comes across a new ally, his name is Elphalin, and um, Kirby protects Elphalin from being uh, captured by the Beast Pack, which is a group of animal-themed uh, bad guys. So... Kirby sets up camp at Waddle D Town and then starts uh, making his excursion to rescue all the Waddle Dees. And after getting through some of the Beast Pack's uh, commanders, he comes across uh, King Dedede, who's been possessed by the, the Beast Pack, and King Dedede captures Elphalin. So Kirby has to pursue uh, Elphalin's captor. Uh, that being King Dedede, and after going through um, some more Beast Packs uh, enemies, he comes across De- King Dedede, who has a new form. He defeats King Dedede, and uh, uh, but and then Dedede comes to his senses and helps Kirby um, uh, reach the final point where Alphalin is being held hostage. So. This is where most of the story happens, which is at the end. So, oh, uh, Kirby comes across a secret laboratory left behind by the ancient civilization, and um, he learns that uh, Elphalin was part of a, of a of an alien life form that crash landed on the um, the ancient uh, civilization's world. And there, he um, he discovers that 30 years prior to the game begins, um, the creature uh, went rogue and split apart. Elphalin uh, split off of the creature and escaped the facility that Kirby is in now. And he's, he's, he's then uh, greeted to the other half of this creature, who is being kept in stasis. And... He, there he meets the leader of the Beast Pack, uh, Leongar, and Leongar tells uh, Kirby that he found this creature and he's using his power to like benefit uh, the Beast Pack and allow them, allow them to thrive. But what he really needs is Elflin to reunite with uh, his other half so um, they can uh, benefit it more uh, efficiently. So uh, he fights Liangar, and then Liangar gets absorbed by the other half of the creature. And then Kirby has to escape and fight the creature uh, after having to absorb 
uh, Liangar, we learned that the creatures, uh, the the other half of the creature's name is uh, Fectoforgo, and Fectoforgo uh, finally subsumes uh, Elphalin and reaches his true form, who is uh, Fectoelphalus, uh, and Fectoelphalus is also defeated. And after after being freed, after Kirby frees Elphalin from him, and it seems like before the portal closes, Elphalin has to sacrifice himself. Uh, but it turns out that the portal can be opened freely without disrupting Popstar, and Kirby goes back to the new world uh, to meet up with Elphalin. And in the post game, uh, you have to go through uh, previ- uh, recreations of previous levels. Uh, the the, re- the recreations are from Effecto uh, Forgo's scattered memories, and um, you have to collect pieces of Lingar's soul to uh, restore him, and then fight him as he's possessed by the last remnant of Effecto Forgo, and then Morpho Knight shows up from the previous games and uh, d- and uh, kills Effecto Forgo for good by absorbing him, and then um. Uh, and then Kirby defeats Morphinite. And after that, if you go through the arena, you find that the last form of Fecto Elphilus is called Chaos Elphilus, and you have to fight him too. And after that, uh, Elphilin absorbs uh, a docile component of Fecto uh, Forgo, and, um, and that's basically the conclusion of it all. So... Yeah, it, it really, um, and while I, uh, it might seem like a lot of story, most of it is only told at certain parts of the, at, of the plot. Yeah, I was about to say that, that <laughs> there's actually not a whole lot of story in the game, if you had, if you had asked yeah, me. I, <laughs> even if, even though it might seem like I was prattling on. So, what do we all think of how uh, the plot presents the story or rather how the game presents the plot because like I said the plot beats are only so few and far between like you get to the first level you do a bunch of levels and uh, Elflin gets kidnapped you do some more levels then you've might and then the story just the plot just basically happens at the last before the last bosses so what do we all think of that eh I'm fine with it. I don't know. Uh, it's not something that uh, right away I have much criticism of. I mean, it's like, yeah, I get what's going on, and that's more than I can say for uh, some other games. Metal Gear. Oh, so so other games... But other games would typically try to meet out uh, information on a more frequent basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree? And and you don't think that one way or the other is better? So I'm actually used to have playing games back in an older time when cutscenes were still a new thing, but they were like very rare, and a lot of it would just happen either like in the beginning, and then maybe one more in the middle, and then another at the very end. So I actually say Kirby's almost more normal towards those games. That uh, I had played before, and oh, and the one example I'm thinking of is like Super Mario Sunshine. That gave me sparse with cutscenes. 
Oh yeah, that's um, true. And and Kirby Forgotten Land is was more along like that versus something like Metal Gear Solid. Although Metal Gear Solid Two does the same thing where it wants to fuck everything up at the very end and not make any barely make any sense. And and yeah. <laughs> Well, that's also Metal Gear Solid for you, so yeah, might not be the best example, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. But I think even Mario Sunshine has like miniature stories in between, right? With Kirby in the Forgotten Land, there's not really much story, but beyond the environmental storytelling, it is more about the lore rather than an actual story being uh, told through actual. Through, through traditional conveyance. Yeah, I mean, yes, you could say Kirby is very a very straightforward story to where major plot points don't happen in between, uh, like world between world two to three. What major plot point is there in terms of story? Not really much but of any. These build the town. Yeah, Waddle these build the town. It's not really much of a story point I would consider, or a major story beat I would consider. And Kirby kicks some ass. Uh, was he made it? He beat up the tree again. After, it isn't until the very end where it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, this is who this is who the the gang leader of the the beast pack is, and this is their plan, and go beat them. Yeah, I think personally for me, part of the success of um, Forgotten Land was that I didn't think it would have a story, um, so that like going into it as, like, a post-apocalyptic environment is, like, really weird and um, unusual, especially for Kirby. But then, like, I spent six worlds without any explanation of why we're hanging out in, like, moldy skyscrapers and stuff. So, like, Mm -hmm. by that point, I just take it for granted and, like, okay, it's a video game. Stupid stuff happens. And then for the cutscene before Liangar to recontextualize that and be like, no, actually there's a reason that all this happened that you witnessed is, um, lent it a a sense of poignancy that like, Oh crap, I'd taken all this for granted. And actually there was a meaning to it. Yeah. I actually did. I actually did like that, that, uh, there was an explanation to between why is this game called the forgotten land? Oh, that's why, because the beast pack that was left behind in the society that had thrived because of what you would be fighting as the final boss in the game, uh, you know, left and then left. Yeah, they left and left them behind. But there's, um, it's good to have an explanation, but also I appreciated the modesty and humility of it, that it wasn't like, uh, there weren't consistent story beats leading up to that revelation. Yeah. Um, that like, um. Yeah, there's. Yeah, that like putting it in just a a, a ten second cutscene is like fine. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah, don't overcomplicate mm-hmm. your story. There's no. You don't need a quota of plot twists that have to happen. Kirby doesn't have to deal with his tragic past or whatever bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's just nice, straightforward, simple to the point. This is, explains what the bad guys are doing, why stuff in the world is the way it is, and have at them. Well, you bring up tragic backstories, but like Leon Gar is a is a case uh, st- study of that, like a textbook 
study of that. Uh, like that's true. I, so that is actually one of the figurines <laughs> I did read, the one that has Clara, Clara and Leongar on it, which says like the two were very close together, but then Leongar changed, and then Clara is not actually Clara She actually has a different name. And Carol. Yeah, yeah, and they both have different names, and that was the thing that I thought was, oh, that's neat. So when Leongar changed, she changed her name with it, but but kept following him. Yeah, yeah that but... was sweet. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think what they could have done is, like, sort of hint at at uh, Chloraline being the just the begin just the tip of the iceberg for Leongar. Like, she's, like, she could, like, you know, mutter some... Well, no, right, because they don't talk. So they could, like, somehow ver- uh, non-verbally hint at Chloraline being uh, Leongar's uh, uh, significant other. Yeah. I, I remember one of the, f- the the figurines also said that she only talks in meows, and I thought that one was funny. Because, <laughs> like, Leongar actually got smart <laughs> enough to talk, but everyone else is still animal noises. Well, yeah, because Leongar's possessed. Yeah, he's he's being possessed by Fecto Forgo. Yeah. Oh, that was funny. Fecto Forgo is talking through him with telepathy. Right. Now, I guess then I get one that what's to figuring description I would like to read is who the fuck is Morphonite? The butterfly <laughs> from, like, the first Kirby game just, like, flies in and is just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a boss now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, Morphonite is a he's a thing. He's um. What does figurine say? He was formally introduced in Kirby Star Allies. Oh shit! Okay. He's, he's a secret boss in that. No, not really secret. Just a boss from the from a side mode. So not really a secret. But he is, yeah, like you said, uh, he is a manifestation of the the first butterfly from the first Kirby game. Like that's supposed to be a. Like a huge twist, and are you for are you for real? I was joking. No, you're you're one hundred percent correct. That is exactly what he is. I don't know what you're referencing. What the fuck? <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> in the in the first Kirby game, Kirby's Dream Land, the first cutscene has Cur- for a Spring Breeze of the first level. Like Kirby is, run- is running through, is walking through Spring Breeze, and then a bunch of butterflies come out and you know topple him over. Morphonite is one of those butterflies. God damn. Oh, it's a regular, uh, um, flowy. Wow, so the yeah, that butterfly it had flowy. it out for him for years. <laughs> one of these days, Kirby, I'm gonna get you. You're always chasing also, me, and I'm sick of your shit. <laughs> it can also be implied, or rather interpreted, that, uh, Morphonite, it's like there are other Morphonites that exist. Wow. And that this is not the only one, like, like, there could be the one in Star Allies, and then the one in Forgotten Land. They could be completely different characters. So is he, is more, what the hell? So is Morphonite even the same species as Kirby, or did they do that just because it, it was a more fitting way to... Oh, the thing is that Morphonite's appearance might come from the absorption of a character who, well, do you know about Galactonite from Kirby Superstar Ultra? Yes. I'll, you know, that yeah, was actually so, one of my follow-up questions, is what is who, is who's stronger, Galactonite or Morphonite? <laughs> oh, it's funny you, you asked that question, because that's immediately answered uh, upon Morphonite's introduction in Star Allies. So, in Star Allies, Mor- uh, Galactonite gets introduced, uh, uh, appears, and it seems like you're about to fight him, 
but then uh, Morpher Knight in his butterfly form, uh, uh, you know, lazily glides into the scene and then lands on Galactonite's uh, lance, on the tip of Galactonite's lance, and completely decimates him and absorbs him. And it's, it was interpreted that Morpher Knight's appearance is, comes from the fact that he seemingly absorbs Galactonite. Okay. Okay, but why would, like, um... Why does absorbing the alien thing keep his, give it a Galactonite form? Yeah, that's thing. So, so it's more likely that this Morpho Knight is actually the one from Star Allies. So it kept the Morpho, the Galactonite looking appearance, but Morpho Knight can still summon apparitions of Fecto Forgo. And that's where that influence comes from. So he has absorbed both the Effect of Forgo and Galactonite and is using them in their image to attack Kirby. I was thinking more crudely cynical. Um, why would I care? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, well, like, what is all of this uh, conveying or saying? So the best answer I have for that is that Morpho Knight comes from concept art in in a in a, a canceled uh, GameCube Kirby game, and so Morpho Knight coming into the story like this is meant to be like Kirby canon being kind of very wishy washy, and Morpho Knight is coming in to like just set things straight. Like we're tired of Kirby being split across different timelines because. In in previous Kirby games, the side modes where you like play as Meta Knight or King Dedede, those are meant to be in different timelines from the main story's me. timeline. No. So Forgotten Land is meant to just unify all these timelines in like because there are no side modes in, in Forgotten Land. Everything is all in one continuous world. So like the the arena is not in its own timeline. It's it's the Coliseum in Waddle D Town. The post game is not in its own side mode. It's, okay. uh, you know, the scattered remnants of Fecto Forgo's memories. Wait a minute. So does that mean Meta Knight's Revenge and Galactonite in general isn't even real or non-canon or what the fuck? Well, well, well no. Revenge of Meta Knight is canon. It's not a side mode in Kirby Superstar. It's one of the sub games. So it's 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 still part of the the main timeline. But no, Meta Nightmare on the other hand is its own timeline. Okay. So it's a symbolic gesture to say, like, hey, we're referencing this thing that is seemingly non-canonical so as to say that we will make an effort to uh, more rigorously structure our canon going forward. Right. It also just makes the story more coherent, I think. Just because I think... And I guess we're going to get into lore now. And it's that lore in Kirby has been kind of uh, misused, I think. Hmm. Because it's been used to tie up plot beats that could otherwise just be easily explainable in the game. So this is why... This is why um, I brought up the fact that the story is all kind of just... Uh, all dropped at the end of, of the plot. And previous games in the modern Kirby uh, 
era also did this. And, um, but hmm. they would do this to the extent that anything else you want to learn about, you have to go on Meverse or go on Switch <laughs> Bulletins to figure out that, how, what actually just happened. Okay, that's so, weird. Yeah. So Kirby doesn't really know, didn't really know how to utilize lore properly. Lore is just supposed to be for backstory, not for figuring out actual plot points. For example, in Kirby Planet Robobot, it was suspected that one of the characters was like a robot, but she's actually not. The the robot in que- the, the, the character in question is the daughter of the final boss, the, the main antagonist of the game. So there's like a whole backstory in terms of just conveying character motivations that are just that's just completely lost when you if you if you don't explore the lore. Yeah, this seems like really bad storytelling. That um, if the meaning of a story is the interaction between characters, then that doesn't seem like a proper subject for lore. I mean, right. we're talking about a different game at this point, but uh, as far as Morphonite, or at least as far as my interpretation, it's just like, oh, here's a cool guy for Kirby to fight. Have fun. Yeah, I think, well, Shadi, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the thrust of your argument was that Morphonite's introduction is more symbolic, like a, a gesture to the fans of, like, we will try to be better about this. Yes. Morphonite is... Uh... Well, first of all, Morphonite is also kind of like fan service, just because it's this character you might have seen in concept art, and you don't really need to know that. It's like Eric Jr. said, it's just a cool new character for Kirby to fight. So it doesn't really need an explanation, because it's just, you know, another character, and it's not really ingrained in the story as far as motivations go. I mean, he's pretty much Meta Knight in in Forgotten Land. He has no purpose other than just to be... A familiar character Kirby fights in the Colosseum. I mean, yes, well, technically I mean, he's defending the village when Kirby's away, yeah. whatever. But we know it. We know he doesn't have play a major role besides that. Well, but yeah, that added touch of oh, who's gonna who's gonna protect Ronald D Town from the beast packs that that are roaming around? We'll just put in Meta Knight. Mm-hmm. That's and you know Meta Knight logistically got there through the vortex that appeared above Pop Star. It's right. my um, tower defense game with Meta Knight commanding the Wild E's. Oh, yeah, it'd be so cool. <laughs> uh, DDD. I've always envisioned. All right, so I guess the only thing that I don't know then, I didn't look at DDD's figurine. All I know is, I guess at some point the Beast Pack put a mask on him and that turned him to their side. That's all I figure. What does it actually, actually say? It's, it's, it's well... His 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 second boss battle. He's called uh, Forgo DDD. So, well, yeah, you're right. It is the mask that controls him. But because he's called Forgo DDD, he's being possessed by Fecto Forgo. Like I, I think that's like the implication of that 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 title. Hmm. Okay. It, so it, it is as simple as that. It's also. It's also why um, his eyes are kind of purplish, because, you know, Fecto Forgo kind of has, like, a purpley glow to him. All right. All right. So, yeah. Kirby in the Forgotten Land has a story, I think, worse, is more solidly grounded than the previous games in the modern era, even if it's not as... Uh, 
as good as I think it could be. It is everything is self-contained. There's no there's no need to do a scavenge an external medial scavenge hunt. Right. I think there. I mean, you don't know the um, relationship between Clawverline uh, mm-hmm. or Carol and Leongar or Leon until you collect all of Leongar's souls and if you happen to read the figurine. So I think that is fairly tucked away for something kind of crucial to understanding the relationship between characters. Right. Mm. I, I, do, I do think that could have been conveyed you know, more earlier on with the Chloraline boss fight, like I said, but I think as self-contained as the game is, it is, um, it is, uh, up to par, up to that standard, I think. Yeah. We're not having to, like, so, have a whole session, like, with Killer7 trying to figure out what the fuck does anything mean. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. We're not. <laughs> yeah, but Killer7 is actually interesting. Even if it is just a clusterfuck. Eh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, that's kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, I guess I guess for some people that kind of, like, really complex way of telling a story is fun. You know, to, to like, kind of, like, solve the mystery. And I, guess, and I can understand how that's what pe- draws people to an- overanalyzing or overanalyzing the Middle Gear Solid series. But I'm like, yeah, but I'm bored as shit when I'm looking at it and playing it. <laughs> And it's not something for me to figure out 10 hours later to gain appreciate. It's like, I don't know. It just makes me feel like a waste of my fucking time. It's like, what? Just tell a better story. Tell your story better, dipshit. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's especially uh, the case for Kirby, which is a game for kids. (laughs) So I think I'd like some, you know, better, simpler storytelling, you know, I guess. I gotta this try out these games because yeah, that's the thing. I haven't played the the modern ones. This is actually the most uh, Forgotten Land is actually the newest Kirby game I've played. So the past couple of games I've actually missed out on. So I had to see what you're talking about on my own time. Hmm. Yeah, the modern games are also good as games, but like I said, the story just is mishandled. Hmm. But luckily the the store, the 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 Beaverse posts are archived, so you're not missing out on uh, on any missing plot points that gotta, were lost uh, what, in the game. What do you mean, Meverse? What? This doesn't make sense to me. That like eight year olds posting on a Nintendo sponsored forum are somehow explaining the Kirby story to me. Oh no, no, it's not. It's not eight year olds. It's the de- developers. It's a developer Meverse um, community. Okay. So that the developers are posting on the Miiverse community for these games? Yeah. That, or they were, rather. That's another area of just, like, cross-media uh, tracking down information to understand a story that also reminds me of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, which I'm like, oh, man, I think people overeat the shit out of that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Or, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the Marvel one, but Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared was just like, oh, there's this crucial... Here, here's a detail you may not have understood because of some random fucking interview on the web that's, like, completely separate from the main YouTube videos. Like, what the fuck? That said, I think Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, you know, I think it's allowed to do that because it's a purely internet medium. Curving the Forgotten Land is a console game. Yeah, I don't know. 
if if I had to if I had to like scour like fake character interviews that are completely in text on a whole another website, I don't know that that's crossing a line for me. Yeah, I think we all have our varying patience with dealing <laughs> with multimedia franchises. Yeah, and how they spread across their store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do wonder to what extent that's like, um. <laughs> for people is that uh, and I'm sure this answer changes depending on the person is a broader set of media in the sense of plural mediums um, having that broader set is that going to increase your appreciation because you like getting to interact with the same thing in different ways and like feel it different like like use different senses to interact with the same thing or is it just like oh i really like this thing so it's cool that there's extra ways to like it you know that's kind of a weird distinction i i can i can sympathize with the extra ways of liking the same thing i think the one that make that i would say is weird is things like Oh, by the way, if you want to understand the plot to the Final Fantasy fifteen, watch this OVA or this movie animated movie before you even play the damn game to understand its story. I'm like, what? There's a story to understand in that game? Yeah, that's. I mean, I haven't played it, but when I saw them doing that, I'm like, okay, this is we're getting to some Kingdom Hearts level bullshit here, but we're like beyond bullshit of just like, oh yeah, by the way, play this fucking like web game that nobody's heard of to understand the whole Keyblade Wars and also don't forget the handheld games. Oh, and that cell phone game that nobody fucking ever played until they did the re-change. I don't even remember what it's called. It's stupid. Yeah, I guess to that end, it it just becomes about making sure there's some level of self-containment for each uh, multimedia excursion for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, but even if you don't see the whole picture, you still get some like some kind of meaning out of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess where I would tra- draw one distinction is like it's. I feel better about it when it's actually in the game. Like I was the the person that would read the logs in Metroid Prime, but it's like yeah, if we're separate, if we're switching up from game to just like reading text only, or say I'm reading a comic book in the game or listening to audio logs, I like the fact that it's all still in the game in one place. Yeah, it's also like a financial uh, uh, relief because you don't have to pay money to track down books or or videos or something. Yeah, I don't have to hunt down the Kirby drama CD. <laughs> it actually exists. Are you, are you- Lord. <laughs> No, it's it's a it's 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 a, it's just an old CD from like after Kirby's Adventure was made. It's just you hear Kirby talk in Japanese. I want to hear the, that. Or, Kirby talk. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's not a serious drama. It's just a little cute thing. I want a I want a drama CD with the uh, Kirby right back at you cast, especially um. I would listen to Escargoon and, and DDD. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what the anime already provides. Yeah, but then they got all those other characters in it. Like the. Oh, I yeah. That, listen to the. 
like the dumpy girl and her stupid brother. Yeah, Tiff and Tuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any more thoughts that we have on Kirby and the Forgotten Land as a whole? Uh, no, that was a fun half digression, though, on the on stories and multimedia yeah, content. Because I, I think it's... Yeah, I think just the story in Kirby is just a really important aspect. So I'm glad we could get through it. Mm-hmm. For me, it was interesting to have a podcast on the stuff that I thought was like totally incidental to the to why the game was good. All right. Yeah, or you know, at worst, distracts from the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it's like like with the um. Some of the exploration when it's too weird and hidey, I guess it detracts, but like that was so rarely an issue. Right, right. This level design is very this is a, a solid game with solid level design. Yeah, it's it's not as obtuse as like some Doom or Quake secrets are. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's from a different time. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. This is a really great set of podcasts. 